Well, good morning. Everybody looks so comfortable. I feel pretty comfortable today. Uh, exciting day today. It's just fun to be able to do something different. Amen? I mean, just to get out into the community, to be together, to share lunch together. Uh, this is going to be a fun day. And uh, this is also the culminating sermon to our sermon series and our study of the book of Romans. So we have been working our way through the book of Romans. Uh, we basically did it in two series to try to fake it a little bit so you didn't realize we were still in Romans, but you figured it out. Um, and uh, today is actually the concluding passage. We're going to come back and do chapter 14 next week because I really wanted to talk about this passage today. Because in this passage, there's one key statement that sits at the center of Paul's final instructions to the church. And that is verse 2 of chapter 15. It says, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. It's a great statement. We should say it together. Okay, everybody together. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Okay, that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this statement. We're going to break it into the three, these kind of three clauses, these three ideas. What does it mean to please our neighbor? Then we're going to ask the question, how do we, how do we work for their good? And then finally, we're going to talk about what does it look like to build them up? So those are, that's kind of the, the focus of our passage. And I think that Paul uses the rest of this passage to really kind of fill in the gaps and define what he means in this important statement. So let's begin by talking about what it means to please our neighbors, for each of us should please our neighbors. Well, verse 1 tells us that we shouldn't please ourselves. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. What is he talking about here? Well, he's saying that we should not be looking out for our own interests, but for the interests of others. We've talked about this before, haven't we? We talked about it. Uh, I know I talked about it in chapter 12. Uh, this is a theme that Paul keeps kind of coming back to in the book of Romans. And of course, he points to Jesus Christ as the ultimate example of someone who laid aside his interests in order to serve the interests of others. Let's talk a little bit about the strong and the weak. He says that the strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Who are the strong and who are the weak? We're going to talk more about this next week, which really kind of digs into chapter 14. But generally, we are the strong. Those of you that are here in this room, you are the strong. You are economically stable for the most part, right? We are educated. We are spiritually mature. We've had access to the truth of the gospel. Many of us have been in the church for years and years. And this makes us the strong that the Apostle Paul was talking about. In the course of history, the strong have usually compelled the weak to bear their burdens as well as their own. It's the way of the world, isn't it? 
that the strong get stronger off the backs of the weak. This was true in Roman society. The strong, the Romans, they had conquered the known world. And they had this incredible influx of prisoners, war prisoners, that became slaves in their empire. And they lorded it over them and they were more powerful. They were the strong and the weak were under them and they were building their empire on the backs of the weak. And we see this happening in our world today all around us. But God is calling us as the people of God to live differently to use our strength to bear with the failings of the weak, to help to carry the failings of the weak rather than to take advantage of the weak. You know, many times the weak have failed. Many times people are weak in society in general because they've made that bad decisions, right? Many times they're weak Because they haven't managed resources well. Many times they're weak because they they haven't cared for their bodies. And we think about that. Many people say, well, they made bad decisions. They've broken the law. They've they've done this or they've done that. They've used drugs. Uh, They've whatever it may be. And therefore they've made their bed. They've got to sleep in it. They've got to deal with the consequences of what they have done. But that's not what the scripture is telling us here today, is it? It says our calling is not to deliver justice for the failings of the weak, but it's to help the weak carry their burden even though they may deserve the consequences that they're bearing. In verse 3, the Apostle Paul appeals to the example of Jesus Christ. He says, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. You see, Jesus bore our failings. Amen? How many of you have ever failed? How many of you deserve the consequences of your failures? Right? All of us have. But yet Jesus, that didn't stop Jesus. Amen? He came into our world. He came into our life. And he carried our failings for us. So that we could be free from our the consequences of our own sin, which is eternal damnation. And now we're free from that. And we're able to live a life of abundance in Jesus Christ because of what he's done for us, because he bore our burden. And that is what God is calling us to do. You see, the Apostle Paul uses neighbor language here. He's making it clear that he's talking about people outside of the church as well as the weak that are within the church. Jesus told this story in Luke chapter 10 of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? It all fits around the question, who is my neighbor? And the story goes like this. If you remember, there is a Jewish man who's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it's a very lonely highway that was full of bandits. And he was he was beaten and he was robbed and he was left for dead on the road. And a couple of his compatriots 
passed him by, a Levite and a priest, and they did nothing to help him. They crossed to the other side of the road. But along came another man, and this man was a Samaritan. He was racially, he was ethnically different than the Jewish man that was injured. He was hated by the Jews. There was a mutual hate relationship between Jews and Samaritans at the time. He was different religiously. He worshipped in a different temple. And the Jews looked at their religion, the religion of the Samaritans, as being an apostate religion. But yet this man came and he bound up his wounds and he poured oil on them and he carried the man on his own donkey down to Jericho and he put him into an inn and there he paid for him to be cared for until the man was better. And Jesus says, who is the neighbor in this story? And I think the ultimate point that Jesus is making, even though people are racially different, than us, religiously different than us, our neighbor is anyone in need that we are in a position to help. That's our neighbor. Amen? That's our neighbor. And so we need to look at the world that way. And we need to reach out to people that are in need. Jesus says, each of us should please our neighbors. He goes on to say, for their good. For their good. How do we determine what is good for someone else? You can advance to the next slide. Verse 4. How do we determine what's good for someone else? Half the time, I don't even know what's good for me. Right? I have enough trouble trying to figure out what is good for me. What does God want me to do? What would be the right thing, the good thing for me to do? How can I determine that for someone else? Maybe even someone that I don't know very well. Someone who is living a different kind of life than I've lived. How do I know what is good for my neighbor? Well, the answer comes in verse 4. It says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. In other words, we have the scriptures and the scriptures were given so that we could learn what is good. If we want to understand what is good, then we must learn about God because God is good. Amen. You want to know what's good? Get to know God. And the way we get to know God is by studying the scriptures and learning who God is. And as God is revealed to us, then we begin to understand what is good. We begin to discern that in our lives and in the lives of others. And this is wisdom. This is what wisdom looks like. It's beginning to know who God is so that we can understand the good and apply it in our lives and apply it in the lives of others. And that is wisdom. Do you want to know what's good for your children? I mean, you want to do what's good for your children? Get into God's word and learn about God for he is good. And he will reveal to you what is good for your children. You want to know what's good for your career? 
Spend time in the word of God, learn about who God is, and he will reveal to you what is good for your career. You want to know what's good for your neighbors, for the people who are in need, who are hurting, who are lost all around us, then we need to get to know God. And we need to know the source of goodness so that we know what is good for them. Helping people in need is tricky. Sometimes the poor need an opportunity, not a handout. Amen? To understand what is good for someone isn't always clear. It isn't always apparent. Sometimes a person struggling with addictions needs boundaries more than they need a second chance. See, sometimes we have to learn what is good and sometimes the good is not always the most obvious thing. It may be the more difficult thing. I want us to take a look at what it says here in verse 4 about endurance. It says, uh, it gives us a couple of principles in the scriptures. It says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. I want us to look at these two main ideas, uh, endurance and encouragement. First, we're going to look at endurance. The word of God says that endurance produces hope in our lives. You know, God plays the long game. That's evident in scripture. If there's one thing you learn today is that God plays the long game. And when we look at the scripture, we see that the story of salvation played out over thousands of years. You can't sum God up. God says, I can't even reveal who I am in like an afternoon. I have to do it over thousands of years in my interaction with people because God plays the long game in life. This idea of endurance becomes really important as we look at the scripture. Pleasing our neighbor for their good is helping them to endure, to play the long game in life. Helping them to acquire skills, to build values, to foster dignity that will discourage dependency. All of this builds hope in their life. Builds hope. In their future. These food packets. These food packets. This is what we're going to be packing up today. This is one day. This is for one day. This is the oil. And the coins. That the. That the good Samaritan. Used. It it was to help the immediate need of that person. It's an important part of the equation. But this. Is not the long game. The long game is what this ministry does day in and day out. It's helping these people find long-term solutions for their problems, as Colin said earlier. It's helping these veterans get connected with the things that are going to help them endure and to live and to have hope for their future. That's what they do at the coffee bunker. They have a chaplain that shares the the good news of Jesus Christ and draws these people to the Lord so that they may have assurance of salvation. That is the long game. That's what gives us hope, right? 
And that's what we're here to encourage today. I think about all of the different four Tulsa ministries. Remember the ministries that we highlighted last year? I think about Crossover Preparatory Academy up in North Tulsa. Talk about the long game, right? How do you fix the problems in North Tulsa? Well, you take young men and you teach them the values of being real Christian men and how to walk with dignity and integrity and righteousness and to stand in their community. And to care for their families. That's the long game. That's what we want to encourage. Hope is alive. It's not just a ministry about getting people out of addiction. It's about staying with that person for up to two years. Building into their lives a sense of purpose. A sense of understanding of who they are. And why they fell. And how Jesus Christ can lift them up. And building a network of support around them. That's what Hope is Alive is doing. It's playing the long game. I think about men to crisis pregnancy. It's not just about convincing a woman not to have an abortion. It's about walking with that woman and her partner for the next two or more years. Providing for their needs, counseling with them, caring for their health and helping them to be the parents that God has called them to be and be the people that God has called them to be. That's what we're talking about. You see, endurance builds hope in your life. And that's what we want to see take place. That's what Fort Tulsa is all about. Verse 5 points us again to the example of Jesus Christ. It says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. And what kind of attitude of mind did Christ Jesus have? Well, when you think about Jesus, you just got to think about incarnation. Jesus came to be with us for 33 years. He walked the earth. Well, first he didn't walk. He was a baby. He was dependent. And he lived with us and he identified with every stage of our lives and of our struggle. That's the long game, isn't it? That's what Jesus did. He was relational. And then ultimately, it was sacrificial. He gave his life for us. It didn't happen quickly. But as a result of what Jesus did, it had enduring hope for the future. Amen? Because through it, we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Okay. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. The last phrase is to build them up. What does it look like to build up our neighbors? The other principle that we find in verse 4 is encouragement. And this flows from the word of God as well. You know, this world beats people down. It just beats people down. Many people have given up in life. And it's not because they don't have abilities. It's not because they don't have talents. It's just because they're they're so discouraged. They're so broken. And they just need someone to tell them, you can do it. 
I believe in you. Someone to encourage them. This is what they need. Ultimately, this need is filled by Jesus Christ, who encourages us. The word of God brings encouragement into our lives. But remember, folks, we are the body of Christ. So we are to be the encouragement to people who aren't reading the Bible, who don't have a relationship with Jesus. So that they can be encouraged and they can be lifted out of the despair that they find themselves so that they can find hope in the Lord. This is our job. This is what God has called us to do. Look at verse 7. The scripture says, accept one another. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Paul, I think, is talking principally here about the Jews and the Gentiles and that, that animosity that they had between each other, the cultural differences that were at play within the church. But we see this in our own society today, don't we? We see this animosity between different groups, different sectors of our population, whether it's African-Americans or Hispanics or uh, a host of other kinds of people that are all around us. And there's, there's this sense that we're so different, we'll never see eye to eye. But we are to come together. We are to accept one another. The body of Christ is made up of all kinds of people. All kinds of people. And what we need to realize is that all of them start out weak and failing. Right? How many of us, when we came to the Lord, had it all together? How many of us, when we came to know the Lord, really understood everything about the gospel? No, we were bozos. We didn't know anything. Right? And as a result, we were weak and we failed a lot. And that's true. If we want to be a church that reaches out to the, to the lost and brings them in to sit next to us in these seats in this room, then we have to be ready to accept the failings of others and to love them through it and accept them no matter where they are in the process. Amen? As we build people up through encouragement and acceptance, we open the door to the gospel. People who were closed. People who have felt rejected by the church or rejected by God himself. They can be encouraged. They can be built up to the point that they're ready to accept the love of Jesus Christ in their life. They're ready to become believers in God. We are his instruments We are the instruments of God in this neighborhood to please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at this condensed passage of Scripture that sums up this incredibly long 
book of Romans, incredibly deep and rich in theology and all kinds of understanding. But it comes down to where the rubber meets the road. How are we going to treat the people around us? Are we going to live like Jesus or not? Are we going to encourage people and build them up? Are we going to love them in spite of our differences? Are we going to seek you for wisdom to do what is good in the lives of our neighbors? Lord, use us. Use us today as we go out. Use us today as we come together and fellowship with one another afterwards. Use us, Lord God, today as we go home to our neighborhoods, as we go home to our jobs and to our lives to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.